0: Hello, this is Tom McSweeney, and you're very welcome to Maritime Ireland. This is the programme about Ireland's maritime development, our relationship with the sea around this island nation, and about our maritime culture, history and tradition. This month we hear from the great songwriter Johnny Doon that he was caught as a stowaway aboard a Norwegian ship, we examine the future of the maritime economy, hear from an Irish husband and wife sailing in the Caribbean, and about a questionable description of fishermen. The
1: word fishers, and we were fishermen for thousands of years. In ancient biblical texts we were fishermen, in the Bible we were fishermen, and now some politically correct woke academic, and for fear we would insult or offend someone outside of the industry. We're all supposed to change our name. We weren't asked to change our name. No one in the industry asked for a name change. Not one woman that I'm aware of within the industry anyway, or man, asked for a name change. Yet it's been foisted upon us. Now, if you look up the word Fisher, Tom, you will see that it's a mammal native to North America. It's a member of the Weasel family or the pine martin family, depending on which website you look up. Same in the dictionary. Now, if any other workforce in Ireland was called by an animal's name,
0: would they tolerate it? The chairman of the National Inshore Fishermen's Association, Michael Desmond, who, why, or when the description fishers was introduced isn't clear. Michael Desmond fishes out of beautiful Roaring Water Bay in West Cork in a 17-footer called the Gerald Sadie after his daughter, the association faces problems, he says, particularly from the development of wind farms. But on the positive side, it has just been given official approval as of a Fish Producers' Organisation.
2: What it means to us is that we finally have a seat at the table that we might be able to have a say on how the fishing industry goes in the future what direction for it to take. You know, As you know, the inshore sector is 90% now, at least, of the total fishing fleet. And basically, I suppose it gives a voice, it gives a voice to the, to the inshore industry that there's finally um, a seat at the table for us.
0: And small boats vary in size and are all over the coast, aren't they?
2: The Amdija, they are in size and they're all over the coast in all shapes and sizes from Donegal down and back up again in every single small pier around the place. Like there's hundreds, hundreds of small piers that never get a, a mention at all. And, um, you know, I, the general public, I would say, have a feeling of the Irish fishing industry, you know, being the larger boats, but there's so much more to it in all these small places
0: how many members does NIFA have michael
2: we have uh, about two, 210 motor.
0: that's a lot of guys who own boats who are be who might be displaced by wind farms
2: uh, it's unreal tam and there's hundreds of fishermen especially intra-fishermen that don't involve aren't involved in any organization that are going to be displaced by wind farms. Like, what's coming down the tracks for us, the general public have... They have no idea of what's what's involved. Like, you know, any wind farm that there was a planning permission went in for, we had a member affected. Unbelievable. It's just people have no idea the effect it's going to have on us. Like, And to have to come up with legal fees of 10 or 20,000 euros... To be allowed to fish where you always fish just to fight for the right to do it. It's it's kind of hard to imagine that we're in this situation. You know? It's really difficult to imagine that men have to get solicitors to prove that they have a right to fish where their father and grandfather and themselves have been for a hundred years. It's I don't know, it's I find it unbelievable situation to end up in anyway.
0: Michael Desmond, Chairman of the National Inshore Fishermen's Association. As has been reported previously on Maritime Ireland, the importance of alternative energy sources is not challenged. But there is growing concern in the marine sector, and particularly in the fishing industry, about the effects on maritime activities. Johnny Doon is famous for writing The Voyage, one of his many great songs. His father was a seafarer, and Johnny became so interested in the sea in his native city of Limerick that he tried to stow away on a ship.
3: Oh, My father and my uncle were both uh, seamen, you know, that uh, I was, I was constantly... In fact, to give you an idea of what it was like for me when I was a kid, after seeing the film version of Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island when I was nine or ten, a friend and I tried to away on a Norwegian freighter. We were caught in the hold by one of the crew and marched before a stern skipper who demanded an explanation in broken English for what we were doing on his ship. And without blinking, I was always good at coming up with the lies in tricky situations. I told the captain that we were looking for my father which wasn't such a lie after all, because uh, I used to kind of haunt the docks when I was a, a kid. I even wrote a, a, song, a song called Stowaway from, from going there. I, I, I spent most of my youth down there. It, it was even said at one stage that I, I as a four or five-year-old, I, I went missing and I was found down the docks, uh, because it, it, there were very exciting times in Limerick in them times. The whole docks would be full of all these ships from all over the place. I loved studying the flags to find out where they came from, you know. Of course, it's all completely changed now. There's very few ships coming there. father loved walking by the river even when he stopped going to sea Uh, and we I was constantly down around that area it's beautiful down there strangely enough I I noticed at an early age that um, they built they built all the sheds down around the area in them days with their back it was almost like turning your back on the river which is a beautiful place and the docks itself it it was a lovely construction you know and the the buildings around it. Um, were marvellous, really, you know. Uh, But it was strange that they they turned their back on the river, the most beautiful scenic part of the city, uh, back then. But now, of course, people realise the value of the the beauty of the, the aesthetic of the whole place. Oh, my heart and soul were
0: burned. Johnny Doohan and the song he wrote about being a stowaway and his view about Limerick once turning its back on the Shannon flowing through it but then realising its mistake. The value of a waterfront in an urban area is considerable. Johnny contacted the programme in support of our report last month about the Dublin Dockworkers Preservation Society trying to get three of its members honoured on Liffey side. They still haven't succeeded. Johnny's brother Mike is the sculptor of the memorial to Limerick Stalkers on the city's Howley's Quay. Now a roundup of the month's coastal and maritime news, here's Anton O'Callaghan. Inish
4: Islanders have succeeded in their demands for the return of skulls, which they claim were taken from a cemetery on the island by two academics who they described as grave robbers more than a century ago. The skulls were given to anthropologist Charles Brown at Trinity College in Dublin for further study. At that time, craniology was widely used to study the levels of human intelligence. The provost of Trinity College, Dr Linda Doyle, has apologised for what she described as upset caused by the university's possession of the remains. The college is to consult with islanders on the most appropriate way to return the skulls. Marie Coyne of the Inish Boffin Heritage Museum, who led the campaign for their return, says she is delighted that after 130 years, the Inish Boffin skulls and human remains will be coming home to rest in their own graveyard. A humpback quail that was seen in Irish waters in January of 2010 and has not been seen here again for 13 years has been spotted off Newfoundland. The Irish Whale and Dolphin Group originally reported the young male adult whale off Hookhead on January 17, 2010. It was named Hookie and added to the IWDG's Irish humpback whale catalogue. The IWDG has been told of two sightings of Hookie off Newfoundland, confirmed by the College of the Atlantic, Bar Harbour, Maine, USA, who manage the North Atlantic humpback whale catalogue. IWDG says this is an important development, being the first of a humpback whale between Ireland, the British Isles and the Western North Atlantic feeding grounds. Galway Atlantiquaria is funding a small-scale marine education and conservation project focused on maritime education and engagement involving local community groups and individuals. It will look at native species and habitats, with emphasis on the marine and fresh water. John Sillery, the long-serving head launcher at Wicklow Lifeboat Station, has retired after 34 years of dedicated service to the RNLI, which he joined in 1989. He was responsible on the station's slipway for all launching and recovery of the lifeboat. And the Council of the RNLI has presented Stephen Wynn of Dunlaira RNLI Lifeboat Station with the prestigious Excellence in Volunteering Award. This is in recognition of his dedicated commitment to the RNLI since 1975. In Waterford, the port company has proposed the development of an offshore renewable energy berth on the River shore at its Bellevue port terminal. This would involve a 250 metre key extension and is at the design stage at present in its master plan of development to 2044. And finally, it looks like a busy year for Laoghaire Harbour, which will have 92 cruise liner callings between April and October this year. The first will be the Viking Venus arriving on the 5th of April, and the visits will end when the Norwegian Star arrives on October the 20th. This is a 40% increase on the number of cruise ship calls last year. And that's the Maritime News Roundup, Anton O'Callaghan reporting.
0: The tropical islands of Antigua and Barbados are in the Caribbean, a thousand miles east of Jamaica. The sound of a tin whistle across the anchorages of those islands must be interesting. Alice Kingston and her husband Tony... A retired Cork Harbour pilot are teaching themselves to play tin whistle as they cruise the Caribbean islands on their 50-year-old yacht Shindig, a Swan Forty, which they bought in America, sailed back to Ireland and restored. Both are members of Kinsale Yacht Club. They left the South Cork port a few months back. Family and friends helped them sail the thousands of nautical miles to Barbados, from where they continued onwards themselves. From aboard Shindig in Antigua, Alice outlined to me the next stage of their voyage.
5: From here, then, we're kind of making our way slowly towards Fort Lauderdale in Florida. But we're going to take in as many of the islands as we can and return home April sometime. There's an old boat. She's 50 years old. Tony um, restored her with the help of his brother George in Kinsale. Um, boatyard, and she's a lovely boat to sail. Now she's very traditional, um, very down to work basic boat. I mean, you wouldn't have luxury that you might have on some of the other super yachts now that are around these days. But it suits us down to the ground, and she always sails out of her skin. She always surprises us with the speed she does. You know.
3: Well, we've
5: been cruising for almost forty years now, and we were going to take a time out when the kids were small, and we always kind of said that we'd do it at some stage. So. We're both retired now, and we said we'd do it while we can. We just decided to go for it, do it now, as they say. It's mm-hmm. very crowded here, we couldn't believe how many boats were, I mean, we, we in Martinique there was a marina, we hadn't been in a marina since we'd left, you know, and we said we'd get in and kind of get ourselves started and stocked up again in um, Martinique, an 800 berth marina, absolutely full, and no space for at least two weeks. And um, trying to get water is an experience. A lot of the boats down here have water makers. Um, but, you know, we're living, we're living um, very simply, really, on the boat, which is lovely to get back to that kind of living. And You'd be surprised how little you can do with, actually. We're going to take in St Bath, St Kitts, the British Virgin Islands, just do as many of the islands as we can, really, and then eventually we're going to take the boat out to Fort Lauderdale. We wouldn't really like a boat over 40 feet, we've decided, but um, some of the boats on here are absolutely massive, massive cruising machines with, you know, every sort of gadget known to man in them, you know, but that kind of isn't our way really. Well, we bought this boat back from the States three years ago with um, our son and daughter. Um, when we bought her first, she wasn't in as good condition as she is now. And we did that North Atlantic trip, which is more challenging really than the South Atlantic one, I think. But anyway, weather-wise. Um, so she has a lot of nautical miles in She has indeed. But she's a, she is a real seaworthy little boat, you know. We literally turn on the engine to charge batteries maybe an hour every day. Otherwise, it's all sail. From now on, really, it's shorter hops, you know, until Florida and um, we're trying to avoid beating if we can. We really just use the head sail um, and main. We haven't put up our spinnaker yet. Now, that would be challenging, all right, for me. <laughs> but um, there's no need for a spinnaker, really, if you, you know, it's it's normally a broad reach. Generally, we get ashore. We don't generally take our dinghy ashore because um, you're kind of advised not to really do that. So. We have anchored close to shore and swum ashore with our gear bags and swum back with our our dry bags. So we're getting loads of swimming. I think we've used the dinghy three times since we got here. No, two times actually. So, you know, you can do it very little really. The water, Tom, is 30 degrees, so it's no hardship, you know. Tony is very well indeed. He's swimming at the moment. He's delighted with life as well. When we retired, we decided that we'd... um, take up a musical instrument. We have a wonderful traditional musician who used to work in my school, Rosair Cagney, and so we have a lesson on a Friday with her and another girl called Susan. And she has made us promise to keep it up, so we practice our tin whistle and concertina every day. And she sends us a little new tune every now and then. So we have to keep a bit of a wide berth at the anchorage of the boat. You know, a tin whistle that isn't really fantastically being played um, would drive anyone mad. But if we're getting better. We're practising now. We're practising.
0: Alice Kingston voyaging the oceans. Husband Tony was off the boat swimming when I phoned Chindig. Ireland's Ocean Economy Report has examined the size and impact of our marine resources on this island nation's economy. Justin Marna looks at the findings with Professor Stephen Hines from SEMRU, the Socio-Economic Research Unit at the University of Galway, and Dr Paul Connolly, Chief Executive of the Marine Institute.
6: During COVID, society looked at science and saw the value of science and data. If we want sustainable oceans, if we want sustainable resources, if we want a sustainable economy, it has to be driven by collection of data, telling the story in that data and making informed decisions based on that data.
7: For almost two decades now, the Marine Institute has been looking to get a better understanding of our ocean's impact on Irish society. The recent release of their report into Ireland's ocean economy tracks its performance over the key indicators of turnover, gross value added and employment, and looks at how the sector has navigated hostile economic waters. Dr. Paul Connolly is the CEO of the Marine Institute.
6: We've come through Brexit and, say for example, the seafood sector, there was a repartitioning of fisheries quotas. We lost out there because of Brexit and fishing in UK waters. We also had then COVID-19. So we were in a really unsettled period and the ocean economy suffered. And we're in this period of transition as the whole ocean economy and society in general accept the new norms
8: that are emerging post-COVID. And I think that's really important. The makeup of the ocean economy meant that the effects were exaggerated in comparison to the general economy.
7: That's Professor Stephen Hines, director of the Socioeconomic Marine Research Unit at the University of Galway, one of the authors of the report.
8: Because of the makeup of Ireland's ocean economy, it's more susceptible to fluctuations. We knew that the tourism and the service fronted industries were going to be affected. Overall, gross value added fell by 28%, which is quite significant. Tourism in in particular, which saw nearly a 50% reduction in value of tourism in in marine and coastal areas. International Cruise absolutely, completely fell off the cliff. That industry just disappeared. All the industries fell. Shipping dropped by 20% in 2020 compared to 2019. So overall, in terms of turnover, it fell by 26%. And in terms of gross value added, we estimate it fell by 28% in, in 2020.
7: The report projects the 2021 turnover of Ireland's ocean economy at €4.98 billion, euro, with a direct economic contribution, as measured by gross value added, of €2.1 billion. Ocean related activity increased that added value to €3.8 billion, which represents 1.6% of national output.
8: Compared to the general economy, which fared quite well, if you compare it internationally, the bounce back was even stronger than for the ocean economy in 2021. We saw coastal tourism increase by an estimated 35%. Oil and gas is a major driver of the bounce back in 2021. That that doubled in terms of contribution. So overall, we see in 2021 a bounce back in turnover of 25% and even higher in terms of gross value added. So the effects are exaggerated because of the importance of certain industries such as tourism, shipping, and of course that major effect of increasing the price of gas. And we've been putting these figures together since, Oh, 2010, maybe. Yeah. But it's that whole period. There hasn't been a boring year in terms of changes in GDP at a national level, and that has been a very interesting time period. Uh, looking at what's been going on in the ocean economy,
7: the latest Islands Ocean Economy report also provides analysis of the trends that have developed over the past five years. Even with the economic shocks since 2020, opportunities are still presenting themselves in growing parts of the sector.
6: Are emerging ocean economy accounts for about 7%, this would be areas like marine technology and technology for the future. That only accounts for about 7%, but it's going to be really important for the future in terms of Ireland's ocean economy. And that sector, the emerging sector, wasn't a hit as bad as the established sector. And when you think about the whole area of energy security, how we deal with climate, Offshore renewable energy is huge to Ireland and we have huge opportunities in that space in relation to
8: using the ocean. There's a massive opportunity there now and I think you know things are falling into place where we will see that development and we have there is targets there for 2030 and authority now in place in terms of the Marine Planning Authority that will transform the look of the ocean economy and what we see in these reports. By mid 2030, I would expect to see offshore renewable industry will be right at the top there in terms of turnover GBA employment. I don't think the general public realise how much is going on in terms of our oceans and the different industries that are involved that it's not just fishing and shipping we look at 13 different industries and, and just there's so much going on there that the general public doesn't realise this is just the market contribution of the oceans to the Irish economy the Irish marine water is so important in terms of ecosystem services that have value, immense value to Irish society that should be kept in mind as well We need
6: data on the use of the ocean to make informed choices about how we should use the ocean to the maximum effect and benefit of coastal communities, but also ensuring that the environment and the ecosystem are looked after. And economic data is really important in making decisions and using that data to make the trade-offs we need to make. Because ultimately, it's all about trade-offs. Who can use a space and who is more restricted in that space? They're very difficult decisions, but really important decisions to ensure sustainable coastal communities and a sustainable ocean economy.
7: The 2022 Islands Ocean Economy Report is now available at the Marine Institute website marine.ie
0: The importance of the nation's marine resources analyzed in Ireland's Ocean Economy Report. The maritime sector is probably larger than you think. Kerry solo sailor Pat Lawless is not going to try sailing around the world again in the immediate future anyway. After having to withdraw from the Golden Globe race at Cape Town due to self-steering equipment failure when he was going well in the top three, he intended to try again in August, in another non-stop around the world race alone, the Global Solo Challenge, but he's changed his mind. At the moment, he's sailing Green Rebel, his saga 36 yacht, home, alone to Ireland. He texted me the reason for his change of mind. Time and money would not be sure that I would be 110% ready and that's all from this edition of Maritime Ireland email me on any maritime topic to Tom maritime Ireland at gmail.com that's Tom maritime Ireland at gmail.com or phone and text 0872 555 197. that's 0872 555 197. The Maritime Ireland website is MaritimeIrelandRadioShow.ie. That's MaritimeIrelandRadioShow.ie. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and with a weekly newsletter and daily news. With the usual wish of fair sailing, thank you for listening and being part of the Maritime community.